His kids had been out before. It was a normal sniffs and coughs normally. Occasionally something a bit more projectile and so it goes. Like most kids, it passed quicker with them but than it seemed to do when they inevitably passed their bugs on to him. But maybe that was more to do with his innate male inability to tolerate being sick. He never liked it when his kids got sick. But there had always been those moments of holding them in his arms and cuddling them to sleep, or at least to give them some comfort that had been almost a redeeming feature of their them being unwell, those close moments with his kids. Gathering them up in his arms to carry them to bed and them usually feeling more like themselves in the morning. The last couple of days had been different. His boy, his house wrecking, daughter aggravating, all action complete, distraction quieting down, slow down, come down from that tree, son was sick and getting sicker and sicker and he wasn't getting any better. He'd called the doctor and then the priest having had a little crisis as to the etiquette of who he should call first. But it quickly became clear his son wasn't getting better. His son was going to die unless unless a miracle happened. A miracle. Those things never happen. And then he remembered a rumour. A whisper about a wedding in Cana. And so he sent out in a day's walk in search of a rumour that had, to all intents and purposes, become his last hope. Helplessness does that. 85 miles away, the man settled down in his usual spot. He tried to do the maths in his head as to how many consecutive days he had sat there for. He usually did that, even just to pass the time, because he already knew the answer. He had his 38 years in total, and he had long since reached the conclusion that he wasn't going anywhere. And not only because his legs didn't work, but because after 38 years of being stuck in one place, where would someone like him even go? He took a look around him. The usual people were there. With some, the reasons were obvious. They were blind and lame, or like him, they were paralyzed. For others, there was a sense that they were were there because of troubles written deep into their life stories. There were some benefits. They were dry and usually warmish. They were eligible for alms and benefited from the generosity of those toing and froing around the temple to worship. And now and again, something interesting would happen. In fact, a while ago, next door in the court of Gentiles, it had all kicked off. He couldn't move to see the guy, but apparently he was kicking all the merchants and moneylenders out of the temple precinct. They came right through where he he was towards the sheep gate on their way out. And he didn't look happy. He didn't know how he felt about that. The whole deal next door was a useful source of people getting rid of their loose change to someone like him. And he had spent 38 years positioning himself perfectly after all to, to benefit from that. So there he sat and waited. In the early days, it had been so frustrating. The belief was that the first one into the pool when the water moved would be healed. But he could never move fast enough to get there and didn't have any friends to help him like some other people did. For a while, it was so tantalizing, so close to the solution. He looked at it every day, but he had long since given up any real hope. Helplessness does that. Jesus had made his way back to Galilee. He was home, but in many ways it felt far from home. Home is where you're accepted, but there was a sense that the people were more interested in the signs and miracles than they were the salvation and the message of God's kingdom. Samaria had been a breath of fresh air. 
the, the people had been looking for an authentic connection. The Galileans welcomed him, but a bit more like an audience welcomes a spectacle. They had heard, they had heard the rumors too about the wedding wine and they'd been in Jerusalem and seen the signs that Jesus, Jesus performed there and they wanted to see more. They were more interested in the signs than the Savior. It tells us in verse 46 of John chapter 4 that Jesus came to Cana again, so back to the scene of the water to wine sign. As he was walking down the street, a weary looking man appeared beside him. He looked like he'd been traveling all day. And his question, my son is dying. Will you help me? Please, will you come with me to him? We were told that the man was an official. and Well, an official what? Most likely he was an official who worked for Herod Antipas, the Herod who killed John the Baptist, for those of you who are familiar with how that story ends. So maybe some kind of administrator or head servant or similar. He had some influence and had obviously had some success. But here he was and none of that influence or success could help him with his great, this great and grave need that he had. He knows that only Jesus can. It's useful maybe to note that Capernaum was around 16 miles from Cana. Jesus said to him, so the man had traveled quite a distance and Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's really asking the man, are you going to be like everybody else in this town? Are you only interested in the sign or are you actually interested in their salvation? Or in salvation? Do you, want, do you want to stand back in amazement or do you want something different and, and, and eternal to happen within you? Is there something distinct about this kind of sign-seeking faith? It's not about show, it's about salvation. That's, the, that, that, that's what Jesus is looking for. And, and we might think, well, this seems like an unkind answer, but the unkindness would be of, for Jesus to fail to address, address the matter of faith and belief in the man. Because, it's not, he, because Jesus uniquely understands. And with hindsight, we now see because we understand why Jesus really came. We, we understand it's not just the existence of the Son that is at stake, but the eternity of the Father that stood in front of them is, is also at stake. Does he believe? Today we're going to see something of a faith contrast between the people, that Jesus, the people in, in Galilee and the official who traveled that distance, that day's travel, and even the contrast between him and a man, the, the, a man later on who we're going to meet. This is what Jesus is interested in, not just in this official who travelled the 16 miles from Capernaum to Cana. It's what he's interested in, you who have travelled the distance from your bed to your television set this morning. What do you believe about Jesus and why? What do you believe about Jesus and why? That's the most important question you will ever answer. It's the only eternal question you will ever answer. What do you believe about Jesus and why? Well, what's the, what do we believe, what do we see, what do we want to think about in terms of belief? Belief in Jesus gives us some things. Belief in Jesus gives me hope in the helplessness of, first of all, the first man that we meet, my long range problems. Belief in Jesus gives me hope in the helplessness of my long range problems. I don't know if you ever say, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, every, every now and again, I'm going to give you a chance to practice at home, actually. So, um, so in a moment, I'm going to point to the camera and you're going to say, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, okay, so are you ready? Are you ready at home? Okay. By the end of this lockdown period, all of my DIY jobs will be completed. 
I'll believe it when I see it, right? I'll believe it when I see it. That we, we, we understand what that means. It's, we, we, yeah, I'm not sure that's going to happen. In fact, I don't believe it's ever going to happen. And, yeah, I, I, and, I, I'm not even sure that seeing it is going to convince me. And in some ways, that's the attitude of faith, the attitude to faith, the attitude to Jesus that the people of Galilee had. I'll believe it when I see it. And that's what he's wanted to tease out with the, the man from Capernaum. Is he the believe it when I see it type? Or is he a guy who's traveled all that way because he believes it from the very depths of who he is, from the very depths of who he, who, of his heart? With a, with a, is there a desperation that's welling up within him and a, that would cause him to cling to Jesus? Is it a desperation for Jesus? Jesus wants to ignite, do you realize that Jesus wants to ignite faith in you? He longs for, for us, he longs, longs for you, he longs for me to look beyond ourselves and look to him. The question for all of us is simple this morning. Why does it take us reaching the end of ourselves before we reach out to him? There's much about this immediate situation we find ourselves in with COVID-19 that, that has caused us to in some days feel as if, man, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. I miss people, I miss being with people and the, the, the toll that that's taking and the weariness of being really restricted in regards to what we're doing. And we, in many ways, we might feel as if, man, this isn't how I thought it would be. And we've had many of the things we value so much taken away from us by, by, the, uh, the, the, by the, the freedoms that have been removed because of our desire to care for the people round about us. But it really shows up what we rely upon. And other things can happen as well, which, which, which cause us to reach the end of ourselves. And the man from Capernaum, the official, is a good example of that. And so the question that we want to repeat is this. Why does it take us reaching the end of ourselves before we reach out to him? Why does it take us something significant, significantly difficult or significantly bad happening in our lives before we would turn to God? God doesn't ask us. Jesus isn't asking us to wait for that to happen. He invites faith from you and from me today. And in many ways, the, the idea of, to, of seeing is believing is not faith and, and is all, also not always possible. The, the provision and the promises of God do not exist on any timetable that we might presume to place on it. Hebrews 11.1 1 famously uh, defines faith as this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith retained only in the event of fast or favorable results is not real faith. The biblical sense of faith carries with it words like perseverance and endurance. It is worked out in trust and in treasuring something greater than any cost waiting might include. That's often hard for us when it comes to our long-range problems. The things that seem beyond us, the things we cannot see the end of or that we feel so far from. And doesn't that very much describe the official here? He'd reached the end of himself. His dying son was something that was beyond him. He was struggling to see a way out of and right at this moment he felt so far from it. In fact, he felt 16 miles away from it. A whole day's journey. But yet here he was, clinging to Jesus. Faith in Jesus here represents risk for the man, the risk of missing the closing moments of his precious son's life, the risk of not knowing if the whole journey had been futile, the risk of entrusting the fate of, of his son to a stranger in response to a rumour. 
Our, our long-range problems produced a lost and ravaged peace. And, and Jesus sees that in the official, and he sees that lost and ravaged peace that's in you. How will this end? Will this work out? Will, it, will, will I be okay? A day traveling with heart filled with doubt and trouble of dread and tragedy. His response to Jesus are you going to be like everyone else? Are you a believe it? And, uh, believe it and, uh, I'll see it when I believe. I'll believe it when I see it. Type of person is that who you are? No, Jesus, I believe you can. I believe you can heal him. Would you please just come and do it? Would you please just come and do it? And I love Jesus' response. He doesn't allow the man to see it. He he invites further faith, that long range faith, in the man, and says to him, "Go, hug your boy." He will live. And it tells us here that the man believes him. How do we know? Well, we know because he went on his way. He went on his way. If he was the kind of dad who walked for a day to find someone to save his son, he was the kind of dad who wouldn't go anywhere until he was sure that everything he could do had been done. If he didn't believe Jesus, he would have stayed with Jesus and pestered Jesus and hassled Jesus until Jesus came with him. But he believed. The Bible tells us that, and his and his and what and his and his actions demonstrate it. Can you imagine the journey back down to Capernaum? Some ways it would have felt a bit lighter. The 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 journey from Capernaum up to Cana was literally all uphill. The journey back would have been very different. It was helplessness replaced by hopefulness? That's what happens when we encounter Jesus. That's what faith fills our tanks with. Faith fills our tanks with hope. Do you need hope today? As he was going down, he met, he met, he met his servants. He recognised them from a distance. Probably sped up a little bit. Maybe started running. Maybe dropped his bags in order to, to get there. What's the news? What's the news? What of my son? Has, has his faith been rewarded? Your son is recovering. Imagine it. Can you imagine the tears? A deluge of exhaustion and emotion, tears and snotters everywhere. When did he begin to get better? When did he, when, when did he start to recover? When did he show signs of improvement? The, he asked the servant to around, around the seventh hour, around 1 p.m. That's when the fever left him. The father, it says, tells us the father knew that that was the time that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And, and, and you would, wouldn't you? Acutely aware of every passing minute on that day. Acutely aware of everything that happened at the specific time that it happened. But the defining fruit of this whole encounter is so much more than relief. It is belief. And not just for him, but for all his household. Look what it tells us at the end. The father knew that the hour, that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. It wasn't so much relief, it was belief. This whole episode is a reminder that Jesus has, Jesus alone has the power to give life. And he is the one who promises eternal life. This sign of giving life is a further picture of the eternal promises that he gives to us. 
The, the, the wedding feast in Cana was a sign of the great wedding feast that is stored up for us eternity, in eternity when we trust in Jesus, when we believe in him, when we receive him as Lord. The second picture in Cana, in Cana demonstrates something further and eternal, that, that, there, that he has the power to not just give life in this instance, but more eternal life to all who would look to him, including you and including me. So will you put your faith in him for your long range and eternal needs? Will you look to him as the one who can give you eternal life? Jesus then makes his own journey, it tells us. Jesus then makes his own journey at the start of chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up and take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So Jesus goes on the journey back up to Jerusalem for a religious feast. And he heads back to the temple and enters through uh, the sheep gate. I wonder, was he going back to check if the money changers and the merchants uh, had returned there? And that's, it tells us in that section of the temple precinct, there was a pool called Bethesda. Bethesda means in Aramaic, it means in Aramaic, house of mercy. So it was a place of mercy. It was a gathering place for those who relied on help and charity and compassion. It says that there were a multitude of blind and lame and paralyzed people. I think the, the, I think the specific word that he used, a multitude of invalids. Invalids isn't a, obviously isn't a great word there and isn't probably even the, a, a sufficient word. It was closer to the senses, people who were weak in limb, who were incapacitated or were, or were seriously sick. Jesus comes across one guy who'd been sat there for 38 years. Can you imagine that? 38 years. 38 years of, of sitting. I mean, would, would you even be waiting by that point? Maybe waiting to die. For sure, not waiting, for, not waiting with hope. That, 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 that seems certain. So Jesus asks him a question. And, and if we're honest, it's a little bit mind-blowing. 38 years of sitting in one spot, and the question that Jesus asks him is, asks him is this. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And that's like asking me, would you like a cookie? Would you like something to eat? Would you like some cake? Would you, you know, there's a, there's a, there's, or, or, or it's like asking the kids, would you like a new toy? Or it's like asking, 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 asking your dad kids. It's like asking your dad, would you like a new television or a new gadget? It's like, it's like any of those kind of things. Do you want to be healed? Seems like, it seems like strange, such a strange question. How would he answer no to that? But Jesus is inviting faith for the man, but, but seems to be anticipating at least some level of hesitation. See, belief in Jesus gives me hope in the helplessness of not just my long-range problems, but here too, my, my short Jesus, belief in Jesus gives me hope in the helplessness of my short-range pause. Do you want to be healed? He might ask you the same question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want your heart and your soul to be given eternal healing? Do you want to be made clear, clean from your sin? Do you want to be restored to a relationship with God? 
Do you want to have eternal peace? Do you want to be healed? But back to the man, it seems such a strange question for a man who had been sitting there unable to move by himself for 38 years. It's a strange but massively important question. Probably more so than we might at first think. Do you wonder how many of the other people sat around the pool that Jesus had already gone and asked? Did he single out the guy? We don't know. Had he asked a multitude, had he asked many of the others who were sat there in the multitudes, had he gone and asked, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And had, had, how, how had people reacted to him? Had many of them rejected him? Had many of them scoffed at him? Maybe resigned to their fate and despair ha, has done its destructive work. Hope had gone. Maybe, maybe, they were, maybe rather than that, they were comfortable with the way of life they had and not seeing better prospects away from the charity of strangers. And I wonder, as, even as I think about our lives and I think about how Jesus might ask us a similar question, I wonder how prone we are to choose to sit in our sin, sickness and iniquity-fueled incapacity when the hand of the Saviour is reaching out, offering us healing and salvation. Maybe that describes you sitting at home. You've been coming along to this online service for the last few weeks because it gives you something to do on a Sunday morning or maybe you're curious or probably somebody invited you and you've been doing it for a few weeks now and and, and as we've worked through John's gospel, you've had Jesus staring you in the face. You've heard about the welcome and the forgiveness and the eternity that Jesus invites you to And and it's as if Over these weeks, and as we come to this week, Jesus is asking you the same question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want what only he can offer you? Everything rational within us cries out, of course I want to be cleansed from my sin. Of course I want eternal security. Why would I not long for a relationship with this Jesus? And yet we have that short-range pause. That last hurdle of surrender and obedience and, 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 and recognizing Jesus as Lord. We, we have that short-range pause. It's the final step that we can't quite seem to get over. We pause because we are comfortable in our sin. We fear the cost of no longer choosing our own way. We have grown accustomed to a pattern of life which is what it, which is, what it is, and eternal things seem so far away. We might be like the multitude at Bethesda. Would Jesus perceive a potential pause in your heart when it comes to what he is holding out to you? It's an interesting contrast this morning. For some, the journey of faith is about traveling 16 miles. For others, it is about traveling as far as a question that searches our hearts and our desires. Our stubborn, straying hearts can make the things to do with faith in Jesus feel just as far for some of, of us as we, we, as we feel the distance, as we feel, feel far away and so run to Jesus from far off. Our stubborn, straying hearts can make the things to do with faith harder to reach than those who, who feel as if they're running to him from far away because of the situation they've put themselves in. For, for, for so many of us, the hardest part of the journey is in our hearts and in our minds. It's in the notion of surrender and of following and having Jesus as Lord. It's the, the, this idea that this means change, my life being changed that we struggle with. And yet you know your need. You, you see how amazing Jesus is and yet you can't seem to help looking around you for something other than him to trust in, to value or to build your life upon. 
The man's response, well, it does suggest a level of resignation. I don't have anyone to help me, and when I try and get there myself, someone else always seems to beat me to it. It doesn't suggest any great level of recognition either. His eyes are still on the water. There's still that superstitious faith that was there, the idea that that, that, that in some ways angels were stirring the water. Um, and and that, that was that was where the hope lay. That and the the hope he looked past the one who could truly heal him to the water that might possibly be able to heal him, or so he thought. Jesus said to him, "Get up, take up your bed, and walk." In the same way as the official showed his faith, not just in hoping that Jesus can answer, but taking a step towards Jesus' promise. In many ways, a man does the same here. Get up and walk. Now, he must have been very tempted, you've got to imagine, in that moment to say, well, if it was that simple, don't you think I would have done it years ago? Imagine for a moment, would you, if the man had said, no, Jesus, I don't believe you. No way, Jesus, I'm not prepared to risk looking foolish by following your call. How big a waste we would have considered that to be. And yet once again, we might see that's how we often approach, uh, how we often approach him. He invites us to hope in his promises through faith in what he alone can provide. And in our hearts and with our lives, we say thanks, Jesus, but no. Rather than choosing to stand in his promises, we stay in our position of doubt and despair. Do you think he felt the change? I'm sure he felt the change. Surely he must have felt the power restored to his legs. At once the man was healed and he, and he did take up his bed and he did walk. And he walked right into the Jewish leaders who were like, wow, that's amazing. You can walk again after 38 years. That's awesome, right? That's, that's how they responded. No, wrong. That's not how they responded. Look what it says. Now that day was the Sabbath So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the the place. Afterwards, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things in the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. They walk straight, the, 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 the man walked straight into the religious leaders who basically asked him a question about Sabbath law. And the, the, the minor law that he was breaking by carrying something from one place to the next. It wasn't in God's word. It was a, an extrapolation. It was an addition. It was a, it was a, it was a legalism that they were adding to all of that. What they were saying to him and saying it's a Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to carry your bed is that you're not allowed to carry your only significant possession and what most would term Let's face it, extraordinary circumstances into which we may all, we we can boo them here, okay? Boo! That would be our attitude towards them. Boo! Something amazing has happened. Can you not see that? Can you you not celebrate it? His response is interesting. 
The guy who told me, to t- the guy who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. So the question is, who's that? who is this guy who told you? What are they most interested in, do you think? Do they want to know the guy who heals? Or do they want to nail the guy who contradicts their laws? Who healed you? And the man's response is, is instructive in some ways, as we'll see in a minute. I have no idea. He just came up and asked. This is really distinct, though, for us to understand. The guy had no reason to expect a healing. Jesus hadn't given him any fanfare. He hadn't asked any questions. There's no sense like we see in other places of Jesus introducing himself, first of all, or or explaining the, the basis of the miracle later on. It was just purely about Jesus' power. The guy had no reason to expect a healing. He wasn't introduced to Jesus in such a way as would give him any kind of mind over matter response. How many other people had mingled through there, do you think, over the past, offering false healings and false hope to people like him? There's no mind trick here. This is just the power of Jesus. But amongst all of that, it's easy for us to be, to be amazed at miracles and miss the point in some ways. It's easy for us to be distracted by the miracles. Did they happen or not? Even some folks would ask those kind of questions and and miss the point in some ways. Jesus is less interested in the heart. My immediate circumstances might cause than he is. The eternal harm my sin will cause. That's shown in what happens next. As we saw, saw in what we read a moment ago, Jesus circles back to the man. Jesus found him in the temple. I wonder had he ever got that far. He, he, he'd sat in that colonnade, he'd sat beside the pool for so long. Had he ever actually got to the temple? Had he ever been to the temple? Imagine that, always in the precinct, but never reaching a place of worship. And Jesus said to him, see you are well. And for those, so for those of you who were asking, the question is, was the healing real? The guy is still up and walking about. This wasn't a short-term uh, adrenaline rush the guy was experiencing. It's a, it's a real healing and that is even attested to by, the fact, by, by Jesus' enemies. When the man returns to them later on, see you are well. Now, here's what I would ask of you. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Is Jesus saying the man's situation was a result of sin? Well, not evidently. We all have sin. That would probably be the, the, the sin observation we might be able to meet here. And ultimately, but ultimately, he is highlighting the man's greater need and deeper problem. Jesus is less interested in the heart my immediate circumstances might cause than he is the eternal harm my sin will cause. That's why we're saying this. The guy has a deeper and more eternal problem, a greater need and deeper problem. It is a reminder that the worst of circumstances in this world are not the worst problems we could have in the entirety of the existence of our souls. It's the reason that Jesus came. It is the eternal issue that Jesus came to solve. It is that Jesus' primary role in your life is not pain relief, but stain stain removal. It's not pain relief, but stain removal. The key matter that Jesus addresses with the man is the eternal stain that sin leaves on any one of us, you and me. And we should be wary of entering eternity without having asked Jesus to help remove the sin that stain causes in our souls before a holy God. He's challenging the man to consider what faith in him really means. And the signs weren't all that promising if we're honest about the man. 
Consider the sense of what's happening here. He doesn't really seem to be to bother with Jesus particularly. You contrast his response with the Samaritan woman. And as we go through John's gospel, we'll be able to draw a comparison with other people who were healed by Jesus and how, how they reacted. You, you can, can contrast his, his response even with the Samaritan woman or the, the official from earlier or the, or the many people who Jesus heals and John allows us to meet later on. He asks no question or, or and there's not even really a sense of him being thankful. You can't even tell the, the, the curious religious leaders who healed him. And, and, and Jesus goes and finds him, not the other way around. And then he, and second, so he, he doesn't seem to bother with Jesus. Second of all, he seems to blame Jesus. Why are you carrying your mat? The officials ask him. The other guy made me do it, is the response. It's, it's, almost like, it's like one kid blaming another kid. Do you do that, kids? He drifts to self-preservation rather than Christ's proclamation in that moment. And even then, after Jesus has the repentance conversation with him, he returns to the religious religious leaders. And there is a sense that he, third of all, bargains with Jesus. So he doesn't seem to bother with Jesus. He blames Jesus. He bargains with Jesus. I wonder, is he still looking for some kind of personal gain? Is he looking for a way to maybe retain some earning capacity or to to get some even even greater upside out of all of this, maybe by way of a reward for information from the religious leaders? Either way, we can certainly identify a hesitancy at best or a hardness at worst towards Jesus. And that seems to be what Jesus is addressing here. Will the man let go of his hesitancy? Will his hardness be released? And will he hold on to Jesus in saving faith that is eternal rather than just that immediate circumstantial help that is temporary? Will there be evidence at the end of all of this of the kind of belief that we see in other lives that Jesus has touched and therein lies both and therein lies the, contra- the contrast and the choice for someone like you and someone like me? Will we choose to be like this man who was immediately shown Jesus' power but seemed to not be impacted by it? Shown Jesus' power but not but personally impacted by it? Or will we choose, will you choose to be like the official who saw in Jesus reason to trust and whose eternity was transformed? And, that's, and, and remember, that is the headline even more than his son being saved. The contrast in belief throws us back towards John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Faith here is defined by how we respond to God's love to us in Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift, not physical well-being or peachy circumstances. The prize isn't things being just as I want. The prize is Jesus himself. Love is that God gives us access to his son. He gives us a relationship with him through his son. Belief is responding to him in such a way as abandons living without him, to being loved into eternal life by him and his sacrifice for you. That's a belief we see growing in the official and his family. That is a belief that Jesus is challenging the lame man to display. That is a belief that we get to have growing within us if we would look to Jesus and receive him as our Lord and Saviour. Would you do that today? Is today the day of you affirming your belief in who Jesus is and what he has done and clinging on to him for all you are, for all you don't, not, not all you need just now, but all that you eternally need? Because he is able to provide that for you and no one else can. Let me pray.
Father, we are thankful to you for Jesus. We thank you that he is worth believing in, that he is worthy of our faith, that he never disappoints in his promises, that he is powerful to give life. And so, Father, we pray, I want to pray for my friends who are, who are watching this service this morning, that they would know what it is to cling tighter to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, Father, I pray that some people would turn to him for the first time. They've maybe been watching and they've maybe been deliberating and they've maybe been hesitating. And so, Father, we pray that today they would take that final step in their hearts and their minds to fully trust Jesus. And for those of us who have trusted Jesus, but we have maybe lost sight of the confidence we can have because he is worthy of our utter belief. Father, we pray that you would help renew and restore our trust in him, that you would cause faith to rise within us uh, for everything, that, that, that we would have security and assurance as we look to him. And those would be the things that would give us great hope and peace in these days. So, Father, we pray you would help all of us in these things today. Help us to look to Jesus more clearly, to trust him more fully. For we pray these things in his strong and mighty name. Amen.